Welcome back to Historical Context. Today we continue our Jamestown unit and we are now to the year 1619 and today we're going to talk about the first of two very historically significant events to occur in the year 1619. And we're going to start today's episode in the month of April in 1619 when George Yeardley arrives in Jamestown to serve as the newest governor of the colony. Yeardley comes to Jamestown with instructions from the Virginia Company known as the Great Charter. As you'll recall from the last episode, Samuel Argyll created a lot of controversy. His rule was not well liked by either the colonists or the Virginia Company. And so this Great Charter is created for Yeardley and uh, the leadership of Jamestown to govern. Among these instructions is the formation of a general assembly designed to help govern the colony. While many of you may be familiar with the first general assembly in America, also known as the House of Burgesses, many probably do not realize that the House of Burgesses came about via a suggestion from England itself. Despite the Virginia Company's blessing, all was not well in England. Years of no profits created discontent amongst many shareholders of the Virginia Company. Just days after Yeardley's arrival at Jamestown, Sir Edwin Sandys organizes the shareholders and places himself at the head of the Virginia Company he replaced Thomas Smythe. And this occurred in London. While surely this decision was made with the hope that there would be stability in the future of the company, the volatility within its governance structure was just getting started. 1619 was also the second year of a great migration that saw the colony's population increase by seven fold. Among new arrivals in April are Captain John Ward and Christopher Lawn. Lawn spelled with an E at the end. Christopher Lawn was a Puritan who sought Jamestown for religious tolerance. He set up Lawn's plantation outside of Jamestown, making it sort of like the Plymouth of Virginia. But remember, this was a year before Plymouth. So not many people may realize that Puritans also came to Jamestown for religious freedom before going to Massachusetts. At this point in time, it is believed that there are approximately 1,000 colonial inhabitants in Virginia. On July 30th, 1619, the Virginia Assembly formally meets in a church in Jamestown. The assembly consists of two elected delegates per settlement. There were 11 settlements, therefore there was a total of 22 delegates. Among the delegates were Captain Lawn, who represented his plantation, Captain Ward, who represented his plantation, and they were two of five captains total in the assembly. Interestingly enough, there was also a Mr. Jefferson present. 
Three historians have tried and have been unable to verify if this individual was in fact an ancestor of Thomas Jefferson. The first order of business that the assembly took up was a concern regarding Captain Ward's membership because he had not received authority from the treasurer, council, or company to establish a plantation. The group came together and they believed that his efforts and work within the colony justified his admission to the assembly. So even though he didn't have the blessing of the formal governance structure that had been set up by the Virginia Company, uh, Captain Ward was still able to join the House of Burgesses. As a result of this conversation, Ward and his lieutenant were the first two to take the oath of supremacy and assume office. The assembly then moved on to Captain Martin's plantation and whether or not his delegates were fit to serve. The problem with Captain Martin's plantation was that the patent on the plantation included a clause that the plantation would be free from the command of the colony. A copy of Martin's plantation patent was produced for the Burgesses to discuss. And it's important to note that the journal from the original meeting of the House of Burgesses, the first one, has been retained. And so with Martin's plantation in doubt, its membership in doubt, let's have a look at what the journal says. At what time, if upon their motion, if he would be content to quit and give over the part of his patent and contrary thereunto would submit himself to the general form of government as all others did, that then his burgesses should be readmitted. Otherwise, they were to be utterly excluded as being spies rather than loyal Burgesses. So, Martin being free of command from the colony, you know, clearly that's a conflict and he cannot be a member of the House of Burgesses. And essentially, the response here, rather rational, says that he needs to give over that part of the patent, meaning he has to submit himself to the laws of the colony. Now, this seems like a simple question and answer on Martin's part. However, next, an accusation comes forward against one of Martin's delegates, a Thomas Davis, that he was involved in the forceful taking of corn against the Powhatan. And if you'll recall from previous episodes, that is illegal. Let's have a look at the writing. Furthermore, it was signified from Opak and Kano to the governor that those people had complained to him to procure them justice, for which considerations and because such outrages as this might breed danger and loss of life to others of the colony, which should have leave to trade in the bay hereafter, and for prevention of the like violences against the Indians in time to come. So clearly there is concern there that 
putting somebody like this in a position of power could lead to further loss of life and outrage amongst the natives. Based on different spellings that occurred in the writings of this era, it's unknown if Ope Takenau and this individual are one and the same, but clearly George Yeardley was in communication with the natives in regards to this matter. Captain Martin was summoned to appear before the assembly and testify, and the assembly split into two committees to read the existing laws, and in doing that, they wanted to essentially review what was on the books, and therefore, after that, they were dismissed for dinner. So the Martin decision uh, has not been made yet. The next day, the assembly agreed to lay out petitions before the treasurer, council, and the company. Of the six petitions, one requested the division of plantations so multiple heirs can each own land. Another requested a sub-treasurer position for the purpose of rent collection. And one requested the establishment of a college. So this group begins to really get to work as to what they see as being needed in Jamestown. The group then moved to set the price of tobacco at three shillings per pound, with the second best tobacco being priced at 18 pence per pound. And 18 pence is the equivalent of a shilling and a half. Then the assembly dismissed for that day, July 31st. The next day was Sunday, August 1st, and there's only one note in the journal, and it states that Mr. Shelley had died. So now the House of Burgesses is down to 21 with the death of Mr. Shelley. On Monday, August 2nd, the group resumed with their 21 assemblymen, and Captain John Martin appeared as per his summons. Let's have a look at the writing. Being demanded whether he would quit that clause of his patent, which exempteth himself and his people from all services of the colony, except only in the case of war against a foreign or domestic enemy, his answer was negative, that he would not infringe any part of his patent whereupon it was resolved by the assembly that his burgesses should have no admittance. And now there are 19 members of the House of Burgesses. Captain Martin was also asked if he would obey the laws in regard to the treatment of the natives, and he did confirm that he would. The assembly went on to formally request that the English not engage in any acts of war against the natives as they are presently at peace. The assembly went further on to recommend laws against idleness, gaming, drunkenness, and, quote, excess in apparel. So for each of these, uh, we've got a couple of examples here. Let's have a look. For gaming, and I quote, Against gaming at dice and cards, be it ordained by this present assembly, that the winner or winners shall lose all his or their winnings, and both winners and losers shall forfeit ten shillings a man, one ten shillings whereof to go to the discoverer, 
and the rest to charitable and pious uses in the incorporation where the fault is committed. So a, uh, a little uh, snitch fee, I guess, if you will, for the person that turns them in, and the rest of the fine goes to charitable causes. Let's look at what they say about drunkenness. Against drunkenness be it also decreed that if any private person be found culpable thereof, for the first time, he is to be reproved privately by the minister, the second time publicly, the third time to lie in bolts twelve hours in the house of the provost marshal, and if he still continues in that vice to undergo such severe punishment as the governor in a state of council shall think fit to be inflicted on him. So excessive drunkenness was not, was not appreciated in the Jamestown colony. Now excess apparel, which I had quoted earlier, was essentially a dress code for the members of the colony. The assembly goes on to recommend that natives be converted to Christianity through the use of the education of their children and the construction of a college. The assembly also regulates the production of corn, mulberries, silk flax, hemp, and vineyards. Moving on to the next day, Tuesday, August 3rd, Captain Powell presents a petition against one of his indentured servants. Let's have a look. Captain William Powell presented a petition to the General Assembly against one Thomas Garnett, a servant of his, not only for extreme neglect of his business to the great loss and prejudice of the said captain, and for openly and impudently abusing his house through wants with a woman servant of theirs, a widow, but also for falsely accusing him to the governor, both of drunkenness and theft. So it sounds like Captain Powell has a little bit of drama going on in his plantation. The assembly elected to have the servant nailed to the pillory and whipped for four straight days. And I read this and wonder what was bringing this great migration to Jamestown. John Ralph, remember John Ralph from previous episodes? He brought a complaint against Captain Martin that was also referred to the council. And we don't have any details of that complaint, which is uh, rather unfortunate. August 4th was the final day of the session as Governor Yeardley was not feeling well and the weather was very hot. The assembly started by passing resolutions opposing certain behaviors between colonists and natives. The assembly added requirements for ministers to document christenings, burials, marriages, and also deemed theft of a neighbor's boat illegal. Hmm. The assembly also required a license from the governor to engage in trade and barred the marriage of indentured servants. 
So if you are on Ancestry.com and you're looking through your family tree and you end up going back very far into the 17th century and seeing in your family record christenings, burials, marriages, and wondering how that documentation must have been kept and preserved, well, it was because it was a law in Jamestown going back to 1619. Another person that we are familiar with, Henry Spellman, who is now a captain, remember him when he was just an exchange student, so to speak, he was censured for unauthorized interactions with the natives, and he was sentenced to seven years of indentured servitude. So Henry Spellman was likely still in a position, if you'll recall from previous episodes, where he interacted and lived with the natives for a period of time. It was clear that he still had those relationships, and it cost him seven years indentured servitude. So it is unlikely that we will be hearing from Henry Spellman again. As the House of Burgesses went into recess, another practice was set to begin at Jamestown, and that was the practice of slavery. And we'll talk about that next time on Historical Context. Mm -hmm.